And, uh, you know, it's just a beautiful day. It's so good to be here this morning. We sang some of my favorite songs. I was fired up about that. Um, and I kind of wanted to bust out a solo, but I was wearing this thing, so I feel like it would be dangerous. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, like uh, Tim said, Joel is in Minneapolis preaching, so you guys get the treat of hearing my interesting sermons, according to Tom. Uh, <laughs> where is Tom? Where did he go? He... Oh, there he is. Yeah, he sat in the back because he didn't want me to look at him. <laughs> but, you know, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Acts. And today we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. And this has been an amazing series that we've been looking at because Acts is an incredible book. You guys, I'm a, like, I studied history in school. And I'll tell you what, Acts is the coolest history book there is. Because you see the story of God and his spirit working through his people. And you see some of the most incredible things. The Apostle Paul being converted from being the worst, the greatest enemy of Jesus in the entire world to one of his most loyal followers. Okay, we see that in Acts chapter 9. We see the church coming together and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit and speaking in languages they've never even studied. What an incredible thing. We have story after story in the book of Acts of God working miracles. But in Acts chapter 10, I think we get one of the biggest miracles in the entire book. Um... And we're going we're gonna to really zoom in on that. And I want to I look first at the character, one of the main characters. His name is Cornelius. And then after that, we're going to talk about, okay, what's the main point of this whole chapter? And we're going to do quite a bit of reading today, so I hope you're ready for that. Um, but before we jump in, I think we need to pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful uh, just to come here, to be together, to sing and praise you, to uh, study your word together to learn about who you are and what you've done and how amazing you are, Father. I pray that this morning you would be glorified, that uh, people wouldn't see me in my interesting ways, but see you, Father, in your glory and the majesty that, that you have and the power that you have and the wisdom. Father, we're so grateful for each other and for your son dying on the cross as communion so powerfully moved us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. We're just going to start reading in verse 1. Okay, so it says, I'll give you a second. It's up on the screen, too. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Yapa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, had departed. He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Yapa. So we get this guy, Cornelius. And what we find out about Cornelius, first of all, is that he's a centurion. His centurions were high-ranking Roman officers in the Roman military. So he was probably in charge of at least 100 men, maybe some more. And so he's a very powerful man. In the Roman world, that was a high rank. It was important. And the military was, I read uh, recently, they spent about somewhere between 50 to 80% of government revenue went to the military. So it was very important to them. <laughs> they emphasized it even more than our government does. 
Um, and it's, it's pretty incredible. So this man was, was fairly wealthy. He would have received about $12,000 a year, which back then was a lot. Um, today, it's like nothing, right? We're like, oh, well, he's kind of poor. No, he was actually quite wealthy for his time, which ought to say something about how rich we can be. He didn't have any TVs or cars, but he was a rich man back then. Um, and that's what he was known for in the eyes of the world, right? He was from the Italian court. He's a Roman. He's a centurion. These are the things that the world saw. And they said, that, that makes him important. That makes him special. But God saw this. It says, he was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. And this is a really rare thing. Okay, it's not likely that you would find a Roman soldier who believes in God. Because the Romans had their own gods. And back in that day, if you conquered someone, that was clear proof that your gods were better than their gods. And the Romans had conquered everyone. That was what they did. So for him to say, you know what? Our gods are not the real gods. It's this God of Israel, this God of this weak, one of the most weak and pathetic nations of all history. From our eyes, he said, that's the real God. That's an incredible thing. But he was known not for his wealth or for his power, not in God's eyes. He was known for his prayer, his fear of God, and his generosity. Now, what are you known for? How does God see you? That's a question I have to ask myself all the time. But lately, you know, this last week, maybe week and a half, I was struggling in prayer. Like, I just wasn't, I would get up to pray, and I would find myself, you know, just kind of mumbling through the words and not being very focused. Uh, and I felt like there was a blockage between me and God. There was a wall between God and myself when I prayed. And I just wasn't experiencing, you know, sometimes when you have a great time of prayer and it's so refreshing and you're focused and like your mind, all that clutter is gone and you just know, I need to do God's will today. That's not how it was going for me. <laughs> I would get up, I would start praying and then I would just be like, what's the use? That's how I felt. Just being honest, you guys, and it's, it wasn't right, but it's where I was at. And I actually didn't ask for his permission if I could share about this, but my brother Eli over there, he's a great man. He said to me, Grayson, we should do an all-night prayer. And I was like, in my head, I was like, nah. But my mouth said, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing it now. So on Friday night, we went out and we prayed, and we didn't quite make it all night, I'm going to be honest. It was about 4 o'clock when we packed it up. We were gassed. I was falling asleep. But it was an incredible night. We went and I got to see parts of town that I've never seen, beautiful places, and we just poured our hearts out before God. There was no distractions. There was no worries. I was just praying. And, man, that changed the trajectory of where I was at completely. And I'm thinking, like, man, I need to do that more often. Jesus did that. Why don't I do that? And so we did that. It was an incredible time. And it really opened up my heart to be devoted to prayer, like Cornelius was. You know, what was it that, that helped God to hear Cornelius, to listen to him? I wouldn't say helped. Rather, what caused God to say, hey, I'm going to respond to your prayers, right? Um, well, two things. First of all, he never gave up praying. It says that he prayed continually. And I think, as we'll keep reading, we'll see there was good reasons for him to feel like he wanted to give up. But he didn't. And then the other thing was his generosity. Okay, so turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58. Okay. 
we're going to actually read a good chunk here in verse 1. This is very convicting for myself, um, and I'll explain why. But it says, verse 1, loud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Here's God's answer. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek out your own pleasure, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? So God describes the Israelites here and he says, you're asking me, why don't you hear our prayers? Why don't you hear our prayers? We, we delight in you. We want to draw near to you. And God says, none of this is acceptable to me at the present time. And he explains to them what they need to change. He says in verse 6, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call. And the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am, if you take away the yoke from your midst. The pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. And he goes on. God says, Listen, I don't hear your prayers because you don't care about the poor. <laughs> you don't care. And that for me was very convicting because I grew up in a very nice middle class home. Excellent parents, no doubt. Taught me to fear the Lord. Taught me to pray a lot. My dad would say, Grayson, let's go pray. And I would say, okay, dad. And I didn't want to, but it's my dad. I got to listen. He go and pray. And they taught me to love the poor. My dad, he told me, you know, you got to bring the homeless into your home. And, and he did that. An incredible thing. And, he, and I heard stories about what my dad used to do, you know, like just give all his money to the poor, all these things. And he, he was very generous. And so I learned those things, but I was not that way, okay, because I grew up well. I had a lot of money. I liked my stuff. I'm going to hold on to this. This is mine. I earned it. You didn't earn it. You don't get any of it. You know, what's wrong with you? The pointing of the finger. What's wrong with you? I made money. What's, with, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you? And God says, I don't, I don't want to listen to prayers when your heart is like that. I don't want to hear it. Because God is not that way. God is so generous and so loving. You know, there was a time that I was really convicted of this. And this last couple of years, God has really been testing my heart to be more generous and to give more and to serve more. But a few years back, I was in the Minneapolis. I went to the University of Minnesota. In the Minneapolis campus ministry there, we decided that we were not doing this well. And so we said, well, what are we going to do? We said, well, let's fast once a week. And anything that we would have spent on food, which for me was quite a bit, I love eating, we're going to give to the poor. 
And so we did that, all of us. And I don't remember the dollar amounts that we gave, but there was probably 25 to 30 of us giving at least five bucks. So we're talking about every month. You know, poor college students. But we found a way to be generous. And that transformed my heart on these issues. Seriously made such a big difference. I said, wow, even when I only make a few thousand dollars a year, I can give a couple hundred bucks if I'm smart. If I make sacrifices for the benefit of others. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Right? And I was so convicted. And yet, I still found myself not being very generous. <laughs> but it was a step forward. And I think that God really transformed our campus ministry culture at that time. And just what we were doing, he blessed it. Because we were doing something that we hadn't been doing. We were repenting. And I've had to continue to learn that lesson and give more and more generously to the poor. You know, do you really want your gravestone to say, like, hey, made a lot of money and was super stingy? <laughs> of course not. We all wanted to, He was a generous father and husband and whatever else. Generous, loving, just like this guy Cornelius. Let's go back to Acts. So it says, in verse 4, And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So like I said, God hears. When we're generous, that ascends like incense before God. That's the idea. That's the image they're trying to give. It's like incense. And Cornelius was praying about something. It doesn't say what he was praying about, but God heard his prayer and answered it. And we can discover what he was praying about by looking at the answer that God gives. Okay, so... In verse 9, it says, The next day, as they were on their journey, so these are the people that Cornelius sent to go find Peter, the apostle Peter. As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Okay, you notice that the whole engine of this entire chapter is prayer. Cornelius prays, God answers. Peter goes to pray, and watch what happens. Incredible. Oh, I changed my page. I'm, I'm confused. Okay, here we go. It says, and he became hungry. Oh, amen, I've been there. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I go to my parents' house and I sit down to pray, and then I'm like, Mom, I'm hungry. <laughs> and then it's like, wow, I'm embarrassed. I should just go get my own food. <laughs> but it says, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. Okay, amen. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So Peter sees this vision, and there's like a sheet with animals on it. It's just so bizarre. Like, I would be so confused, but usually when I read this, this is what I think. Aha, I can eat bacon. I love bacon. I can eat whatever I want. Don't tell me I can't eat my bacon. And I use this sometimes against vegetarians. It's kind of rude. So, <laughs> hey, God said to kill and eat, so I got to do my thing. But that's not what this is about. And Peter doesn't, like, if that's what it was about, Peter wouldn't be confused, but he is. Check this out in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them, 
without hesitation, for I have sent them. You know, another way to translate that without hesitation is make no distinction. And sometimes we don't recognize the conflict that's going on through this chapter until we get further on. But all throughout it, you see a conflict between what's normal, which is that Jews and Gentiles are not associated, especially the Romans. The Romans were the ones who conquered Israel. Why should we go serve our conquerors? They're cruel, they're oppressive, and I hate them. That's how they felt, many Jews. And they started wars because of it. They started rebellions, and a lot of them got killed. A lot of people died, and this had been going on for a thousand years. You have different nations come in, and they conquer Israel, and the Israelites detest them. They hate them, and they make no, they don't associate with them. They won't eat with them. They won't go in their house. They don't want to touch them. Like, stay back. You know, sometimes we think about the, the, the divisions in our country. We have divisions, ethnic, racial, whatever you want to call them. And people can be like, man, this has been going on for so long. Well, this is like five times as long, a thousand years of this kind of thing going on. How ingrained do you think that attitude must be? Much more ingrained even than the ones that we struggle with, that we wrestle with. And so the Holy Spirit says, listen, don't make distinctions. Okay, go down and meet with these men. And Peter went down. Peter doesn't argue. Okay, I know that traditionally I'm not supposed to go, but I don't care. I'm going to go. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. So first of all, these guys come and they have to try to give all these reasons why this Gentile deserves a hearing. Because they're probably worried like he's going to turn us away. He's a Jew. And so they're like, well, he's a God-fearing man, and an angel sent us. And, and Peter didn't need all that because the Spirit had already told him what's going on. But they felt like they had to say that. And then, and then it says, so he invited them in to be his guest. Already, Peter is breaking down with his responsiveness to the Holy Spirit through his time in prayer, is breaking down social and ethnic barriers that have existed for a thousand years. And this is all because of the Holy Spirit. And this is the work that the Holy Spirit does. And sometimes we think the Holy Spirit's guiding me to be divisive and to cause divisions. He usually doesn't do that. Okay. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Yapa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So I love that part. Cornelius had faith that Peter would show up, and he was waiting. And not only was he waiting, he said, guys, I need you all to come into my house and hear what this guy has to say. He was being evangelistic. Cornelius was, he was praying, he was giving to the poor, and he was inviting his friends to hear the gospel message. And people came. The house was full. I think because they saw his heart and his fear of the Lord, and they respected that. And that doesn't mean they always will. Sometimes people see that and they react the exact opposite way. But in this case, it worked out well for Cornelius and his family, his friends were there. Um, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. Here we see the division coming out again. Okay, the odds that a Jew would worship a man is very slim. Today, one of the biggest distinctions that Judaism makes between Christianity and them is that they say God cannot have human form which is obviously not true when you read the Old Testament. He does it many times. 
But they have decided because of Jesus that that must be the case because they don't want to accept. I'm, I'm, I have a great roommate, a good friend of mine who's Jewish, and this is one of the things we would talk about. Uh, we used to be roommates at the University of Minnesota, and we talk about this. It's like, he's like, no, God can't have a body. And I'm like, why not? He did. In your book, he did. <laughs> and, but they make this distinction. And so for Cornelius to do this, as a Jew, you might be disgusted. Like, what are you? You're so foolish. You know nothing about God. You know nothing. Clearly, you are a fool. And that's not how Peter responds. Peter responds very graciously. Hey, I understand. I'm a man. <laughs> Don't worry. Not God. And so Cornelius does. But you see the division is coming out constantly. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know, this is obvious, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. You know, let's, it's sometimes, right, we can be like, Cornelius was described as a God-fearing man. A God-fearing man, spoken well of by the whole Jewish nation. He says, but you know that it's unlawful for me to associate with you, even though we all know that you're a God-fearing man. That's how deep the divide was, that even when they acknowledged his character, they just couldn't go into his home. They just couldn't be close with him. And this isn't a new problem for the Jews. Let's go to Isaiah again. Uh, Let me flip my notebook over. Isaiah 56. Verse 3. It says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. So why do you think the foreigners were saying this? Because they felt like he was going to. (laughs) They had joined themselves to the Lord. They were God-fearing. They loved God. But they felt like they weren't welcome in his people. Okay, so jump down to verse 6. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So God says, listen, don't say that anymore. It's not true. I want my house to be a house of prayer for everyone. And you guys remember the incident where Jesus, he goes into the temple and he kicks all these people out. And he's furious. Sometimes that can perplex us. Well, they needed to sell their doves and their whatever so they could have their sacrifices. And we think, oh, that makes kind of, at least it perplexes me. I don't know. It used to. Why would Jesus be so angry? It's because most likely what had happened is they had put that marketplace in the court of the Gentiles, it was called. And that's where the non-Jews were allowed to come in and to pray. And they had taken it over and they said, we don't want you to pray here. And Jesus was furious. Okay, so Peter has the example of Jesus to lean on here as he's, as he's trying to figure out what God wants in Acts 10. But God says, I don't... I don't want you to be cut off. I want you to be a part of my people. And sometimes I've felt like I was cut off from God's people, even as a member of God's people. I've felt like I would walk into the room and I'd be like, I know I'm here. I know I'm a Christian. I should be accepted, but I don't feel accepted. I don't feel like my ideas are welcome. I don't feel like people understand me. I don't feel this or that. And I think maybe that's how Cornelius was feeling. But how do you respond when you feel that way? Because I think it happens to anyone. 
It can happen to anyone. You know, I mean, I was, I was on staff, paid by the church, and I was feeling that way. <laughs> okay, so clearly I was accepted, but I wasn't feeling it. And how do you respond? You know, Cornelius responded by praying about it. God, I want to be a part of your people. And God sends the answer. Here's how you can be a part of my people. And we can respond sometimes with bitterness and anger. And, we need, and I think we need to follow the example of Cornelius. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to seek reconciliation. And I'm going to seek God's will. And I'm going to pray continually about this. Okay, so I want to encourage you guys to really consider that. How do you respond when you feel a division in the church? Do you respond with anger or do you respond with faithful prayer? Okay, so let's keep going. Um, Verse 30, and Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Cornelius knew that it was an act of kindness for Peter to overcome this. It took sacrifice on Peter's part. There had to be some people who were watching and saying, man, what is he doing? Why is he doing Why? How dare he go into that man's house? And so Cornelius was grateful. He said, this is an act of kindness, and I'm so grateful. Um, he says, Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The peace is between the divisions the Gentiles and the Israelites, there's peace now in Jesus. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Why is Peter so careful to describe how they were witnesses, how they ate and drank with him? Because they wanted to understand this is a real thing that happened. This really happened, and I saw it. It wasn't just some ghost or some vision, because we ate with him. Ghosts don't eat. We drank with him. Ghosts don't drink. I mean, you can imagine, it would just fall over the floor. And so he says, this is, this is what really happened. At the center of the gospel is the truth that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And therefore, we can have peace with God. It says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter preaches the gospel in a powerful way. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I wish that I could just read this and just read it and, re- and just spend the whole day reading it. It's so incredible. All the stuff that he lays out in such a short time. And I want to know, am I able to preach the gospel so succinctly? Do I know the story well enough to say, this is what 
happened, and I just want you to know the truth. And am I confident enough to say that to people? Jesus really was resurrected. It doesn't scare me to say that because it happened. But sometimes we can be afraid of it, like, well, I don't know, I'm no historian. I don't know how to, like, it happened. Trust me, I've studied it out. It happened. And we should be bold about it. Jesus commanded them to preach. He's commanded us to preach as well and to bear witness. And while Peter was still saying these things, here's the main point of the entire chapter. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. That's where the chapter ends. But here's what happens. He's preaching and the Holy Spirit comes on these, these, non these, these Gentiles. Okay, they're believers, but they're Gentiles. And it says, wow, the Holy Spirit come even on the Gentiles. I didn't know that was possible. I thought that there was a difference between us Jews and those Gentiles and that they couldn't have that gift. But since they have, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? You know, they can be a part of God's family just as much as we are. And that's what baptism signifies, and that's why they said that. It's not just a nice symbol. This was important. It was the way you entered into God's family. And so he said, I command you to be baptized. If you want this, I command it. We should be just as bold. But this is the main point of the entire chapter, that God has accepted all people into his family, and that God desires healing and peace and reconciliation in, in, in the mystery of God, this is what Paul calls it, the mystery of God is that he is reconciling the world to himself. And the world means all the people, not just the Americans, not just the Israelites, not just the Arabs, everyone in his kingdom. And this lays out an alternative solution to the problems that our world faces. You know, I grew up going to church and all these things. But personally, I was very political. My parents weren't. I was incredibly political. I would listen to Rush Limbaugh every day. I was 15 years old. Listen to Rush Limbaugh on the way to school. Like, well, that, this is the best stuff I've ever heard. That's how I was. And I became a Christian when I was 16. I got baptized. And I had intense political opinions. And I would get in fights with people about it. And I would argue and I would get upset. And I'll tell you what, I have learned through my time with God in his word and through the spirit and through the fellowship, that, that stuff does not work. Okay, one of my, some of you know, one of my favorite people from history is Napoleon Bonaparte, and that man did more than any American president, and yet we find that his achievements, hardly, we hardly even know who he is. I mean, he basically lived for 150 years because he only slept three hours a day, and we still don't know who he is because those achievements don't last, and no matter what you do, they don't last. The plans of a ruler die with them, but not with Jesus because he lives forever. And his, his solutions work. This thousand-year-old divide was, in a moment, completely eradicated by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I'm sick of this. <laughs> he was like, I'm sick of this division. Let's make it happen. And they did. You know, in our country, there's a lot of divisions. And we can start to, you know, our, we think all day about how we're going to post it on Facebook, our opinions, right? Like, ah, oh, just... I gotta tell these people. One time I wrote out this, like, wow, it was like this long. 
And then I was like, bro, should I post this? And the brother was like, no. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. It's of no use. And I've learned more and more that whether you're Republican or Democrat, it does not matter. It really doesn't matter. Whether you support Barack Obama or Donald Trump, I don't care. I care whether or not you're going to get with the program, with God's program, of bringing reconciliation through his means. Some brothers, uh, we were on campus the other day at the, at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire here, and we were talking. We were talking about being bold and preaching the word and doing all these things. And this dude comes up to us. His name was Paul. And he says, he says hey, I have a survey for you guys, and I'm wondering if you'd be willing to take it. And we said, sure, we'll, we'll take your survey. And so it's, it asks all sorts of politically charged questions about our opinions. Um, it wasn't a bad thing. It's fine. We just took it. Uh, most of us were very neutral, which was good. I was, I was happy about that. It was like, well, no, I'm going to say five. It was one to ten. We'll just say five for a lot of stuff, which means indifferent. <laughs> and that's what we did. And, um, you know, and then afterwards, we were like, hey, Paul, we got something to say to you. I appreciate you asking us these questions. We got some questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> and so we talked to him, and we explained how God's kingdom is a completely alternative solution. That it doesn't fall under Republican or Democrat. It's completely separate, and it's completely powerful. And we said, hey, do you want to learn about that? And he was like, I don't know, maybe, but amen, we preach the gospel. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in whether or not people respond. Listen, most people aren't going to respond. They didn't to Jesus. Why should they to me? I'm not nearly as good a preacher as he is. I don't know all the wisdom that he had, and they didn't respond to him. Why should they respond to me? If they don't, amen, let's be joyous. Right? We were talking, as we were talking, we were talking about how when we pray, a lot of times, when we're going to reach out, right, we'll sit down, hey, bros, let's pray about this, let's do this. And we, and we pray and we say, God, please lead us to some open people. And then we were talking, we're like, why do we pray that way? It's because we don't want to reach out. <laughs> hey, God, lead us to some open people so we can talk to five people and be done. That'd be great. It's kind of tiring, and I don't feel very bold. But in the book of Acts, what we see is they pray for boldness. They don't always pray, God, make them open. God, open their hearts. Now, that is a prayer in the scriptures, and I... Amen. Pray for that. But man, it's a paradigm shift for me to say, you know what? I should be praying more often for boldness than that their hearts would be opened. And a lot of times it's through our boldness that people's hearts are opened. But I'll tell you what, they were joyous when they shared the gospel. Maybe not all the time, but that seems to be the pattern of the book of Acts. And I think it was because of that. Because they weren't so focused on the results of serving Jesus and being bold and proclaiming the truth. And that's, a, that's an exciting thing. And as we were talking about it, we were all getting excited, like, yeah, let's do that. And we just felt so much better when we shared our faith. Hey, you know what? He said no, but what am I, I'm going to talk to someone else. This is good. And we were happy about it. And it's a total paradigm shift. Now I want to go back to Isaiah. There seems to be a lot of parallels with Isaiah in this chapter of Acts. We're trying to show you something about God's word. He keeps his word. He, he, when he says, I'm going to do it, he does it. And it may not be on your timeline. And it may not be when you want it to happen, but God will do it. And for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Okay, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach 
to the end of the earth. So God says, I know, Israel, that you're weak and you're pathetic, and then if I rescue you, that's really quite a feat. But it's too small a thing for me. That's not enough. I'm going to rescue everyone. I'm going to save every nation, and I'm going to bring them into my kingdom. And I just love that heart of God. So he reveals, like, this is too small for me. You know, sometimes we view a problem like rescuing Israel. I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a, how do you do that? And God says, nah, it's jump change. I got bigger plans, and I want you to know it, Israel. And Israel didn't seem to get it. They forgot. But God said, through Jesus, I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to do this. And he did. That's why in Revelation it says, God has purchased with his blood people from every tribe and every language and every nation so we could all be a part of his kingdom. And that's the solution to these problems. You know, I'm going to be frank. I have never voted because as I learned to understand this, I said that is the most pointless thing. That's how I feel about it. And you can have your own conviction. I'm not going to be upset. But that's because I studied this and I said, for God, it's such a light thing. And in God's kingdom, there's another solution. And this whole matter, this whole chapter, is just a demonstration of God's wisdom and his power in his faithfulness that we can know that God is going to do what he says. And he'll do it when he decides to, but it's going to be something that you don't even expect. You know, who expected the Messiah to be crucified for the forgiveness of sins? Nobody. Nobody knew that was going to happen, and yet God's wisdom is better than our wisdom. And he did something they weren't expecting. The Jews thought, hey, the way to bring the Gentiles back into God's kingdom is that we're going to rule over them and dominate them. As a matter of fact, we're going to conquer all of them, and then they won't be able to conquer us anymore, and they'll just follow whatever we want. God's solution is not domination, but rather coming together. And that isn't to say there isn't a king in God's kingdom. It's God, and he does dominate his kingdom. And you have to choose whether or not to be humble to that. And that's a struggle for me, I'll tell you what. I don't like to be dominated. <laughs> like, hey, you know what? I always tell I'm going to dominate you on the court or whatever else. And I get all like whatever, weird, like, like uh, Connor's smiling over there because he knows that's how I act. But the reality is, like, I'm, if I go and play LeBron James, it's pathetic. Like, you're bad. And that's how it is playing God. You can play against him. You can try. You can think you're going to dominate him. But he will win in the end. And by the way, that shot LeBron made last night, wow. <laughs> so incredible. I was fired up. But that man is so good at basketball. Man, why would you even try? I don't. Why should I fight against God? You know, and so this morning, you guys, I just really want to call you to, to become a part of God's family. If you're struggling with the decision of being baptized, be baptized. Peter said, I command you to be baptized. If you're struggling with political stuff and just tension and anger or even just frustration with the family, pray. Seek reconciliation. And if we do those things, and if we are generous to the poor, God will bless this family, and we'll see immense things done in his name. Amen. At this time, let's say one more prayer, and then I believe there's another song after that. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, you are incredible, and it's so amazing just getting that time to pray with you the other night and just knowing that I could be at peace in my heart, knowing that you had brought peace through Jesus, that I didn't have to measure up or, uh, you know, meet the standards because I couldn't. Lord, but you were gracious enough to accept me. And we know that there can be divisions, even within your body. Lord, we pray that you bring healing. We pray that each one of us is an agent of that work, that each one of us submits 
to how you have called us by the Spirit, like Peter, like Cornelius, with faith, with humility, that we don't make distinctions among us, whether rich or poor, black or white, it doesn't matter what the reason is, that we have no distinctions. Lord, we love you so much. We're so grateful for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.